of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Well, hello, good day to you. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, continuing through the Psalm Project. Uh, this will likely go into late next year, 2023. Um, I expect by the end of this year, I will be somewhere in the 80s, probably, around Psalm 80-something. And we are here today at Psalm 60, and I am very excited about this psalm. Um it, First of all, this psalm has the longest title in the Psalter, and it refers to the events that are recorded in 2 Samuel 8 and 1 Chronicles 18. But these historical books tell only of the conclusion of the battle's victory. So this psalm laments a military defeat, uh, and it asks God why he has rejected the people. And so for the most part, the community voice dominates and the psalm addresses God with the first person plural. Okay, so again, the psalms are very honest. Um, In worship, in corporate worship, we can be very honest, not just individually, but corporately as well. And so this is an example of that type of honesty. Uh, So... The historical books tell of the conclusion of the battle's victory, but the title in the psalm here suggests that David experienced setbacks on the way to victory. So I don't know if I mentioned that this this was a psalm of David, but it is. Let me go ahead and read the title, and forgive me for trying to get through these names and words in this title, but I am going to make a feeble attempt at doing this. To the choir master, according to the Shishan Iduth, a mitkam of David for instruction when he stro- when he strove with Aram Naharem and with Aram Zobah, and when Joab on his return struck down the twelve thousand of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Yes, that is the entire title. <laughs> very, very long title. Uh, the historical books. Uh, so, so again, I've mentioned the account of this. The historical books. Also, so again, the historical books, 2 Samuel chapter 8 that I mentioned earlier in 1 Chronicles 18, these historical books and the psalm here differ on the number of Edomites killed in the Valley of Salt. Okay, you'll see that when I read this here in a little bit. Uh, Why do they differ? This is probably through a copyist's error. Now, when the canon of Scripture has been handed down, um, uh, copyists and scribes, uh, they're... They're human. Sometimes they made errors in their copying. Okay. Does that mean that the word of God is unreliable? Absolutely not. We have between five and 6,000 different manuscripts that come together to form the word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scripture that we have now. And there are those that say, well, that's five or 6,000. That's a lot. How can you think that the Bible is reliable? That's a lot of people, that's a lot of manuscripts that comprise it. But when you put them together, the message is still the same and it is still intact. 
Uh, to me, that's amazing. Five to 6,000 different documents and manuscripts that comprise what we have now, and it's still intact, and it still makes sense, and it is still the Word of God. And even between the different um, sources that you have that form the canon of Scripture, any variances there are, are quite minor. They are very, very small and usually can be explained quite easily. So these issues do not make me less of a believer, but more of a believer. So the historical books and this psalm differ on the number of Edomites killed in the Valley of Salt. Uh, and this psalm associates, uh, here's another, uh, another issue here. This psalm associates Joab uh, with the victory, while Second Samuel 8.13 names David and First Chronicles 18.12 lists Abishai. Okay, so who was it? Was it Joab? Was it David? Or was it Abishai? Who is it that is credited with the victory? Well, as I mentioned, there are usually explanations for all of this. All three of these men were high commanders in the army, and either one of them could have been credited with the victory, okay? So when you hear stuff like that, don't go thinking, oh, the Bible's unreliable, and throw it away and, and have nothing to do with it. No, there are explanations for this type of stuff. Uh, you know, the Gospels. Judas went and hung himself. Uh, Judas uh, killed himself with a sword. Or wh wh which one is it? How did he kill himself? Well, maybe he hung himself over a sword. I mean, there... There are explanations for all of this just because the text may be slightly different. There are explanations that are usually very easy explanations. So here we are in Psalm 60. Let me read to you these 12 verses. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem. And portion out the veil of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? Do you not go forth, O God, with our armies? Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. This is, again, a lament. Again, I said David experienced some setbacks, and yes, he did experience victory. But this is in reference to his setbacks that he is experiencing. And you see that when he's saying... Um, when he says, have you not rejected us, O God? Well, God hasn't rejected them. Uh, sometimes when we seek 
what we believe God desires for us and it's not happening, maybe it's not the right time. There, there are explanations and really the truth of the matter is we need to trust God in his working in our lives. But God answers in a very stern way. I mean, mentions all of these places. I will divide up Shechem. I will portion the veil of Sukkot. He mentions all of these areas and places, these locations that he owns, Manasseh, Ephraim, Judah, Moab, even says Moab is his wash basin, and upon Edom I cast my shoe over Philistia, I shout in triumph. So God responds to David and reminds him that he is God. Verse 1, he says, O God, you have rejected us. So when God rejects his people, he abandons them and leaves them to the mercy of the enemy. Now, there were points in Scripture where this happened, particularly with Israel. We see this this happening when Israel, it's kind of a cycle. Israel rebels against God. God allows them to be defeated. God rescues them. They return to God. And then at some point, I guess they just forget what God did for them, and they rebel again. So when he rejects his people, he abandons them, and he leaves them to the enemy. And it's only with God's approval that the people of Israel have any reason for confidence. And they are forgetting this fact. Verse 3, you have made your people see hard things. You've given us wine to drink that made us stagger. This image is a frequent one in the prophets. The cup that makes a nation stagger is the cup of judgment. If you want a good picture of this, read Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 through 38. I will not read the entire thing, but verse 17 says, So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent uh, the Lord sent me drink it. Verse um, 15 of Jeremiah 25, it says, Thus the Lord says to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath. Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. This is God's wrath. So this is the cup that makes a nation stagger. Listen to this from Nahum chapter 3 verse 11. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. Again, talking about God's wrath. Jesus himself drank the cup of wrath and on behalf of his people. And so God's wrath was poured out on his people because they rejected him. They rebelled against him. There are people that don't realize that that is the type of punishment that was required for Jesus Christ to take on our behalf. Um, this, the Keith and Kristen Getty hymn, In Christ Alone, speaks of the wrath of God being satisfied. And there are those who do not agree with that. That sounds pretty harsh. Uh, Jesus' death wasn't to pay for his wrath, but it absolutely was. That was the wrath poured out on his son that should have been poured out on us. So, uh, you know, when someone says that's a little harsh, well, sin is harsh. 
We rejected Christ. We deserve an eternity in hell, but Christ paid the price on our behalf. It is called uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Christ took on the penalty on our behalf. Verse 4, you have set up a banner for those who fear you. This verse is a token of hope for the faithful people. God gives protection to his people from the weapons of the enemy. Verse 6, God has spoken in his holiness. So this is a divine oracle, and it was probably spoken through a prophet associated with the temple. The gist of the message is that victory is forthcoming. And this message was borne out by the report that I mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Again, it would be worth it just to go back and read these references. 2 Samuel 8, 1 Chronicles 18. And read these accounts where you could see where this... That's what I love about the book of Psalms is these things reference actual events that took place. So you can read 2 Samuel 8... 1 Chronicles 18, and see the situation where this psalm was born. He says, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the veil of Sukkot. So the verses after this exult in the inheritance of the promised land. Shechem and Sukkot, these are names of the first two places that Jacob occupied after returning from his encounter with Esau. You can read this account in Genesis 33, 17 through 20. They are on opposite sides of the Jordan River. Verse 7, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. So Gilead and Manasseh, both of these areas are located, at least in part, in the region of the Transjordan. And then Ephraim and Judah, these were two of the most powerful tribes in Israel. They were frequently rivals, but here they are united as part of God's army. And then he goes on, he says, Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. So Moab, Edom, Philistia, Moab and Edom were east of Judah, and Philistia was west of Judah on the Mediterranean coast. These countries were traditional enemies of of, of Israel, but in this song, in this psalm here, God exults in his power and his authority over them. So he is not broad, he's very specific, but also saying that he basically he controls everything. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin. Edom, I cast my shoe over Philistia, I shout in triumph. In other words, these places are mine. And here, they form God's army. I I think these pictures are interesting too. Over Edom, I cast my shoe. What does that even mean? This is a a gesture of contempt or possibly a claim to ownership. Ruth 4, 7 says this. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So this is possibly some sort of claim to ownership. Verse 9. Who will bring me to the fortified city? So the king here 
who speaks on behalf of the nation. That is likely who this is referring to, who will bring me to the fortified city. When he says me, who will bring me to the fortified city, this is the king speaking on behalf of all of Israel. Verse 12, with God we shall do valiantly. So David here confesses that it is only through God's power that they win the victory. Israel at some point obviously had forgotten that. But David understands and he's reminding himself and everyone that they only receive victory through through the Lord. And so this is the primary attitude that motivates Israel's war in wars in the Old Testament, all of their wars. So as I mentioned, this is a very, I, I love this psalm. There's just so much here. Uh, and I love the fact that you can go back to 2 Samuel 8 and 1 Chronicles 18 and realize, man, this is real. This was written out of a place of honesty and perhaps a setback and some sort of confusion and despair. David wrote this psalm because of the setbacks that he faced on his way to victory. And rest assured that with God, there is a victory. It is guaranteed. That doesn't mean there won't be setbacks, at least on what we consider setbacks. There won't be setbacks on the way to the victory. Often that happens. That doesn't mean that there will be, that we will never forget how faithful God has been to us and rebel and sin. We still fight our sinful fleshly nature and so there are setbacks. You know, we, we read these stories in, in the Bible and think, how could Israel possibly forget what God has done for them? We would do the exact same thing if we were in their shoes, and we do the same thing now. And so this is a cry and a, an earnest plea from David's heart. God, where are you? God, act. Destroy your enemies so that your glory is shown. So a wonderful psalm. I love, uh, I put it in a, a major musical setting, a major key. So um, you can listen to this and hopefully it blesses your heart and you can utilize it in some sort of worshipful way, maybe personal, individual worship, whatever the case may be. So here is Psalm 60. Thank you for listening today to the Active Worship Podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Uh-huh.
stress of distress And you'll have made them drink the wine of reeling That those you've dearly loved may all delivered be. Oh, save them with your strong right hand and answer give to me. God in his holiness declared, I will exult and shout. The land of Shechem I'll divide And Sukkot portion out The land of Gilead is mine Manasseh too I own My head's defense is Ephraim And Judah is my throne I made my washbowl Moab's land On Edom through my shoe So shout aloud Philistia Because of what I do Oh, who is there to to the city fortified, and who is there to lead me on to Edom as a guide? Have you rejected us, O God, with us, O who? Trap.